Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Was anyone not here last week? Okay, wow. I'm, I need to teach last week's class over again. Because um, it was my favorite one, like all year, it was my favorite class. Not the delivery, I'm just saying the content was, was, uh, was um, I like the content. So I'll review real quick. You see here God creating man in the very beginning of human history and giving him a mission. I'll read it for us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have, say that with me, dominion. It means rule. It literally means to place the foot upon. That's what it literally means. Um, A lot of Hebrew words are like that. They are metaphors. And uh, when they're translated in English, we have to find an English word um, to capture that metaphor. So it's the word rule. It's the word dominion. It's the word to place the foot upon. And uh, the dominion that man would have is essentially over the created order, over earth. And by man, there's a double entendre there. It not only means all of mankind, but it means um, Adam in this particular case as the federal head or the representative of all those who would come after him. And so man (coughs) is to have dominion over all of the earth, and that includes all of the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the insects. Okay? So, all the way down to the depths of the sea, all the way up to the heavens, the entire um, three-layered earth. And if you understand Hebrew cosmology, you understand that this is a temple for God, and he has his high priest and his king and his representative, and he is to rule over this, this uh, created order. That's the mission of man, and that has not changed. It was never changed or eradicated. Um, In fact, the New Testament is, by and large, the revelation of how God would actually achieve this through Jesus Christ, the new man, and his new Eve, the church, okay? Um, And we talked about last week how this mission is, by and large, lost on the American church, The American church doesn't, I don't believe, know that this is what they're supposed to be doing and equipping people to do. By and large, they believe their mission is to have uh, revivalistic type services and snatch as many people from the earth kingdom before the end comes. And... um, that is unfortunately a, uh, not this mission and acts counter to this mission. And so we began there, but then we also said that God gives us tools to accomplish this dominion mandate, also known as the cultural mandate. And the tools that he gives us are, who can remember some of them? The big one is he creates us in his image so that we can accomplish that purpose. But what are the aspects of his image that we could um, see in this text. Can y'all remember any? We have the ability to create as he does. Not from nothing, but we can, through covenant, create offspring, which is precisely what he does. And uh, we image him in that way. And it would be necessary to be fruitful and multiply because Adam cannot exercise dominion over the whole earth 
by himself. He's only got two hands, right? And one mouth. He needs offspring. Good. Now, we learn in the New Testament that that offspring are the seed of Abraham, all those who have faith in Christ, and that they exercise dominion over the earth and inherit the earth. Romans chapter 4. All right. Any other tools? The ability to reason. That's right. Rationality. The law of non-contradiction. The laws of thought. Logic is in God, is from God, and is in the heart of men so that we can um, exercise dominion. You cannot exercise dominion over this earth if you can't say two plus two equals four. And one thing cannot be a thing and a non-thing at the same time and in the same way. You need reason to be able to accomplish this. Good. What else do we have? We have... We have the way God made us is covenantal in that we are communal. We must be communal, and that community must be bound together by covenant as the Trinity is in order for us to accomplish this mission. And we talked about the three covenantal institutions, the family, the church, the state, and how each of them are hierarchical. Um, and all of that is for the mission of dominion. If you deconstruct the hierarchy and you eradicate the institutions and the covenants that God has established, you will be, in fact, exercising dominion for Satan. That's his strategy. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to lose more people if I just keep doing it like this. But the tools are language, reason, covenant, community, marriage, making babies, um, all of the above. There's so many tools. Authority. Um, let's see, I wrote some down. Uh, gender. You have to have different people with different natures to accomplish all the multifaceted aspects of dominion. We are not um, a factory line, assembly line units. We have different roles, different natures, and we have different gifts so that by division of labor within these covenantal communities, we can um, exercise dominion over the earth. All of that is for us to fulfill our purpose. We have godly ambition. We have the law of God. By the law of God, he shows us how the world works. If we stay within his law, we can see um, all things being equal, success and fruit, etc. So he's given us all the tools necessary to accomplish our mission. Of course, the fall comes. Adam does not exercise dominion. Instead, he makes a covenant with Satan and Satan takes dominion over the earth. He is the usurper. But when Christ comes, he binds the strong man. He sees Satan Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He creates the new heavens. He begins his rule over the earth with the rod that comes from his mouth. And he begins to accomplish for real the dominion mandate alongside of his new bride, Eve. And, uh, And that is really the culmination of the mission from the very beginning. Beautiful picture. And, and one day I want everyone in here to be able to hear what I just said and get exactly what I'm talking about. All right. I know I just fire hosed those of you who weren't there last week, but I'm telling you, if you can understand these things, the, the Bible as a whole and, uh, and uh, your worldview will, will be um, much more thorough and it will most certainly change the way you live. All right. So today we move on to the characteristics of the mandate. The characteristics of the mandate. So we saw the tools of the mandate last week, and today we see the characteristics of the mandate itself. And so we'll begin with this one right here, and you might can pull some of this out yourself, but notice it says, let them have dominion. Who does the them refer to? Right? Man. So specifically it means 
Adam and Eve, and all their offspring, man, them. Now, you say, well, of course it, it means them, but this is very important to understand. The secular worldview does not believe that them get to exercise dominion. The secular worldview be, believes that the state, period, has the right to exercise dominion. No, but every human being on the planet born um, of Adam and Eve has the authority and the right and the calling and responsibility to use their gifts and their roles and their nature and the place that they find themselves born to exercise dominion, to rule over the allotted um, portion that God gives them. In other words, dominion is decentralized. It's very important. Decentralized. Right? Um, it's not just one man, Napoleon, for example, and all of his serfs, all of his units, all of his, uh, his slaves. It's not just one institution, like just the church, right? Or just the family, or just the state. Every human is called to exercise dominion, is given the freedom and the gifts to do it, and every institution that God has ordained, family, church, and state, all partake in dominion together. It's decentralized. There's some overlap, right? You're, you are a part of a family, a household, and you are exercising dominion in the world, in your sphere. That overlaps with the church. That overlaps with the state, with society at large. All of these overlapping checks and balances, decentralized, organic, if you will, structures and covenants working together to um, subdue the earth and to bring out its fruitfulness and, um, and to bring, do all of that to the glory of God. All right, so you can think of uh, like a starfish instead of a spider. All right? um, Napoleon, for example, one of the earliest um, purveyors and successful emperors to bring about what's, what we think of today as nationalism. He brings together all of the French kingdoms and all of the different places and puts them under one nation state. Right. You, everybody has the same currency now. Everybody has the same laws, the Napoleonic code. Everything becomes centralized with Napoleon at the head. He's recreating the kingdom of God on earth. He believes himself to be God on earth, which is why he takes the crown from the Pope, puts it on his own head. Right. So this, that is sort of a good early picture of the modern nation state and its desire to exercise dominion, of course, in the name of the kingdom of Satan. Well, so if Napoleon dies, which he does, what happens to that dominion, that kingdom? It dissipates. It's like a spider, right? If you cut off one leg, well, now it's a seven-leg spider. You cut off two legs, it's a six-leg spider. You kill the sinner, it's dead. All right. And uh, of course, the kingdom of heaven is the same way, except that the center is Jesus and he's in heaven, untouchable. And he's God, right? So you can't, even when you think you're beating him, you're actually losing. He laughs at your attempts. So you cannot kill the center, but he extends his reign over earth in a decentralized way like a starfish. Do y'all know if you cut off the leg of a starfish, what happens? It grows another starfish. That's, that is the beauty and, and one of the strategies of the kingdom of heaven, in which, and, and that is one of the reasons why it cannot be stopped. Because the kingdom of Satan is always centralized. It has to be centralized. Why? Because Satan is not omnipresent. 
He is not all-knowing. He has to have his spies bringing all the information to him. All roads must lead to Rome, to the center of the, the emperor. All, all information has to go to Satan for him to, in a centralized way, exercise his dominion. But Jesus Christ sends his spirit out in the world. He's omnipresent, right? He is God. And so he can have the kingdom of heaven advancing in some Appalachian town and in Iran and in the south of Paraguay, family, church, state, in all different ways, all happening at the same time. It's, it's more like an infestation. It's like leaven spreading in the lump. You see, that's a beautiful thing. And what it means is that we can, <coughs> we can be exercising dominion here in Acadiana, and we can know that, hey, maybe the state's not on board with us here, but at least the church and the family is, Right? And, and, and we know it's happening all over the rest of the world. Like that, that DNA is, is out there. So it's decentralized. It's, it's not like the dominion of Satan or the modern day socialist babble state. All right. Um, moving on, uh, we see here in this text that it's not just for everyone, but that it is for primarily the family. Primarily the family. The family is the primary unit or platoon of dominion, right? Husband and wife. You see that? Um, the state flows out of the family. Like, what is a town? It's a collection of families. Understand? What is a church? It's a collection of families, of households. Now, some households have one person in them, and some households have 20 persons in them. But a church is a collection of households. This is why in historically in Reformed Puritan churches, the heads of households voted. So that would include the men who are heads of households. It would also include any single women or widows or any person that's left their mother and father and they're no longer in that household, but they, they have not yet built a whole household. So it would be the heads of households who would vote within that church because the church was comprised of these covenantal units. That's a different worldview than we have today, right? Today we believe of each individual as a, their individual unit, like a bag full of greased BBs, right? Which makes you very malleable for the state, which is the whole point of it. But the fundamental unit of dominion is the family, Adam and Eve. And God looks at Adam and what does he say? It's not good for him to be alone. And how do we interpret that? Oh, he's lonely. There's a hole in, there's an Eve-sized hole in his heart. <laughs> That's not the point. All right? we, we, we psychologize and therapize everything in the Bible because we've been seduced by that sort of thinking. Adam communed with God in the garden. If you're single, it really is true. You have Jesus and you're good. You know what I'm saying? You're good here. You're whole. You're, you're not like a half of you. You understand what I'm saying? The reason why it's not good for him to be alone is because he can't do much alone. He can't fulfill his purpose alone. He needs a, a life giver, a life multiplier. You see what I mean? He needs a helper so that together they can produce so that the dominion can expand. That's why it's not good for him to be alone. I, I feel like sometimes I, I preach marriage and, and people just 
are so confused. They're like, so singleness, what about being single? Well, no one's saying that you're half of a person or half of a, a you. We're, we're just saying is for dominion's sake, you need to have marriages and you need to have a bunch of babies to spread out and to have more division of labor and more gifts. It's like a bigger church can do more than a smaller church, Right? More division of labor, more gifts, more resources, more minds working together. That's all. Now, and here's the thing. I want to say this. God doesn't call necessarily every human on the planet to exercise dominion through making babies. We know that for a fact. Some people have a unique calling in the kingdom and in not having babies actually equips them and sets them up to be able to do that calling, okay? They're still exercising dominion, but not in the normative way. You see what I mean? There's the normative or typical way, which is husband, wife, making lots of babies, starting young, division of labor, resources, staying faithful to God, advancing his kingdom. But then there are those people who are not in that normative pattern, and the church needs those people, I promise you. I don't, I don't want to give examples, but I really could of how there are people who don't have big households who are able to serve the church in ways that others cannot. And and there are people like that serving the church in those ways that are indispensable in this church and, in fact, irreplaceable, right? For example, if you're called to be a missionary to Afghanistan, right, that's how God is, has wired you and placed you and, 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 uh, and you, know, you have all the things. It might be better for you to not have 12 little kids, right? <laughs> but that's not the normative way of exercising dominion. Right? That's not the normative way. Is there anyone in the Bible who was like that? Paul, when he says, you know, I, I want some of y'all to be like me. I wish that all of y'all had this, you know, able to marry the church, so to speak. He, he, he's not canceling out the book of Genesis, right? <laughs> right? Uh, you, can't, you can't take one statement and, and reinterpret the entire Bible. Right? Paul had a particular calling, not unlike Jesus's, to be an itinerant missionary, all right, traveling nonstop, and then to die at the hands of the civil authorities. That, he had a unique calling. And uh, someone who had a wife and a bunch of kids would not have been able to do that without abandoning their family, which would be sin. See what I'm saying? So we want people to get married, want them to do that, but we are not saying that those who don't get married are not whole. They have God, and they have their church, and they have a whole bunch of little adopted children from the church. But what we are saying is they are in a unique place to be able to serve the church and the kingdom and the town and other families in ways that other people can't. Amen? All right, so it's good. It's not good that he should be alone. It's not a a therapy lesson. He needs a friend. (laughs) He has God. It's a, he doesn't have the necessary implements for us to accomplish this mission. It would take Adam a long time by himself. Like, how would he even maintain all of that? It'd be impossible. All right, so moving on. Um... The phrase, therefore, if the family is the primary unit of dominion, the phrase, don't put work before family, is nonsensical. We want to build a community where if anyone said, don't put work before family, it would not compute. You see, to say, don't put work before family, assumes that work and family are not united. 
that they aren't for each other or of each other, but that work is for the man and family is this separate, non-productive, unefficient, uh, almost like we do leisure as a family, but we do work in the corporation for the man or for the DMV or whatever, right? That's, you see how it's, that, that phrase, don't put work before family, has swallowed a, a secular view of all of society. No, we work as families. We work for families. The Proverbs 31 woman is doing real estate deals. For whom? For her family, as her family. It's part of the division of labor. Right? She's not getting up in the morning and going put on the, the uniform of the man and working for the man. She's working for her man. Who's working for his husband in heaven? Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And, and there's no escaping this reality. You either work for your man or the man. One or the other. Right? There's no escaping this. But what this then also implies is that to build a household, to grow a household, to exercise dominion as a little platoon of a household is a big job, a huge job. It's more than fluffing pillows and doing ditches. But secular people have no concept of that. So when you say, I'm for my household, they think you just fluff pillows all day? No, their vision is so small because they are statists and secularists in their mind. They don't realize that, no, your household is a unit of dominion, a, a platoon of dominion, and you got a lot of, a lot of plates spinning. Right? You see what I'm saying? you got a lot going on. All right. There's a lot to say about that, and those are all different lessons in and of themselves. But moving on, the mandate is social. Let them have dominion. It's decentralized. It starts with Adam and Eve. It's, the family is the primary platoon of dominion. The household, okay? And it is um, social. In other words, you can't do it alone. When a man believes that he's going to find himself by building a tiny home, he will not find himself. He will lose himself, all right? Because he is forsaking his primary mandate. When a man... Um, forsakes marriage, same thing. When he unduly delays marriage, he is in sin, and the Puritans would actually church discipline him for, for that sin. And he, here, we wouldn't church discipline him. We, we would probably publicly and privately shame him until... <laughs> I'm not saying I do that. I'm just saying it happens until he gets on board with his mission. If he wants to go off and be a surfer, he will not find himself right? If he wants to go off and hike the, tra- the Appalachian Trail, he will not find himself. He will find himself on the path of service and dominion, and the primary unit of that is marriage and multiplying in marriage. Right? When he has his wife take the Plan B pill or um, the IUV, and they're aborting every conceived baby that happens, he is not going to find himself, and he's not going to live a life of fulfillment and fullness. He is actually um, losing his life and losing his calling and losing his manhood and losing his humanity. This is all part of our humanity. So this is, this is why we say for men, find a wife and start making babies because that's God's calling in your life. Generally speaking, there are some people who, uh, who like eunuchs and, uh, and whatnot who are called to dominion in a unique way. But 
you know, I, I don't meet it. I haven't met one of those before. So, but I, I, theoretically, they're out there, right? And it's true. Um, <clears throat> it is social. The man who wants to build a cabin and live by himself in the woods as a, you know, a, a solo survivalist is not doing his mission. The, mis- the mandate is social. The man who is filled with too much pride that he can't sit under the instruction of the word of God by pastors is not going to be able to fulfill the mandate because he is without a main social um, connection, which is the church. You see what I mean? And honestly, we, the church and the family, we are handicapped by the fact that our civil rulers do not recognize King Jesus. We really are at a loss. Um, I, I would say, to, not to put too fine a point on it, we are, we are fulfilling our mandate as families and as a church, but we are in an area that is under the curse of King Jesus because our civil rulers, our representatives, are not acting as ministers of Christ, but are acting as ministers of Satan. So it's like we are, we are building, uh, we are working undercover almost. We are insurgents in, the kingdom of, in, a, in a realm that is claimed by the kingdom of Satan. But it is a social mandate. You have to be in, in, in a church. You have to be in a family. You have to be in a town. And you have to have all of that connected to it. So we want to raise our children to say, this is my town. This is my church. These are my people. This is my family. And I'm going to do my calling unto King Jesus. And that is how they will find themselves. You know, that's why Back in the day, churches had graveyards because as Abraham had him and his family buried in the promised land, they would have their families buried in the promised land, in their land, the land that God had had given to them as a down payment on the inheritance for them to exercise dominion over. You see what I mean? Now, of course, all our bodies go to the state. Every spiritual gift is for the purpose of what? Serving others. So if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, should you take a psychology test to find out how God's wired you or like what you like to do or what brings you fulfillment? You're an EMGT XYZ or are you a beaver golden retriever? <laughs> right? that, those, and the church, has, the church has swallowed this the way to find happiness is to discover yourself. And you can discover yourself through these Freudian self-tests, right? No. What would be more fruitful is if we had a test, what are the needs of my covenantal community? And then you would ask the pastors or you would ask maybe a civil leader if we had one on our team. Or if you could ask uh, the, your parents, what are the needs that's a closer, that's a faster way of discovering yourself than taking some sort of self-evaluation therapy test. You see what I mean? Because God has wired you for a social community that he had you born into, and he's given you gifts. The fastest way to discover that is to see what, what doors did he design you to unlock. See what I mean? All right, because the mandate is social. And if it's social, it's also verbal. It's also verbal, speaking, language, very important. Grammar class, very important. Um, and if the mandate is God's mandate, then we fulfill that mandate 
by his book, right? So dominion must be by the book in the family, the church, and the state. Understand? You know a father is not fulfilling his calling when he is not doing it by the book. Same thing with a pastor or a sheriff or a governor. I know that our civil leaders are not advancing Christ's kingdom and fulfilling their mission in the name of Christ because they're not going by the book. That's an easy way to know. The laws are for us to, to keep. And does God, does God care about the means or just the end? Both. He cares about the means and the end. He even cares so much. He cares about your heart and your motivations even. Right? So are we allowed to take dominion on Sunday? Is that the point of the Lord's Day? No. That's the day of rest and worship, right? Day of uh, rejuvenation and a day to remind yourself of his covenantal faithfulness. Right? Are we allowed to harvest baby parts in order that we might bring out the full potential of science and technology? No, it's against the, it's against the rules, right? Are we allowed to experiment on, on, by torturing beagles and have their skin eaten off by fruit flies? No, that's one of Dr. Fauci's experiments. Um, are we allowed to do that? We're not allowed to do that. We have to exercise dominion by the book. You understand what I'm saying? Are we allowed to torture prisoners? No, but they have the information we need. It doesn't matter. We trust God. Are, are we allowed to um, inject baby parts in, in, and turn little babies into skincare products so that we can have youthfulness through our necromancy? Are we allowed to do that? We're not allowed to do that. We cannot exercise dominion over this earth in science, technology, engineering, mechanics, math, art. We can't do any of that against the rules. It has to be by the book. And God says if we will do this by the book, what will he do? He'll bless us. If we don't do it by the book, he will curse us. He will curse us. Are we allowed to run a business deceiving your own clients? No, no. Even if it does make you a big tither in the church. We don't want your blood money. We don't want the blood money. Because fruitfulness comes not through our efforts alone, but through our efforts in submission to Jesus. Amen? And by the power of his spirit. Dominion must be by the book, which is, of course, why God gives Adam and Eve the law in their hearts at first. Later, he writes it down on uh, stone tablets. Um, And uh, this dominion, of course, as I said earlier, it means the word rule. It literally means to place the neck upon. Uh, Jesus is ruling, he says, until he does what? Puts all his enemies under his feet. That's another way of saying until all his enemies are under his dominion. Okay? We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies on his throne, ruling and reigning with Christ. And when all the enemies are put under King Jesus' feet, they will also be under whose feet? Our feet, the queen. That's right. So whatever God, whatever field he has called you into, maybe it's the field of engineering, the field of creeping things. I don't know, what's an insect study, insect scientist called, right? Or maybe he's called you literally to a field, to master the peanut, like uh, Booker T. Washington, who was a Christian scientist who exercised dominion over the peanut, right? He was one of my heroes. I'll read you that quote in a second. 
whether he's called you into a figurative field like the field of being a, a pastor or the or field of being an engineer or a literal field, it's a metaphor, um, all of these things are to be done with excellence, not halfway. You are to put your foot on its neck. So, you, know, you are to rule it. You are to exercise godly dominion of it. If you are going to topple a, a tyrant, you want him all the way in the grave, right? Not halfway, not halfway. So we do things with excellence and we're not to be marked by mediocrity. Amen? Now, is there anyone, and, and I, probably this is everyone, who hears me saying this word rule and dominion and putting things under our foot and thinks, oh, this is toxic masculinity. This, this, this sounds like the patriarchy. This sounds like, uh, you know, very retrograde, I mean, Neanderthal-like. No, no, that is propaganda from Satan. It's not domination, it's dominion. It's fulfilling our actual calling. And I promise you, those who do this are blessed and are happy, unlike those who do not. Right? All of it is to be done in the name of the Lord, under his banner and according to his rules. Amen. Um, now let's move on to another topic, the extent of this mandate, the extent of it. So those are all the characteristics of it, the extent of it. You can see here, it's over everything from um, whales to great egrets to roaches and, and uh and even in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, it's even over the sun, the moon, and the stars. Is man exercising dominion over the sun right now? Sure, that's right, solar panels. Man, who knows what we could, what we could do with the sun, right? right has, has man exercised dominion over the moon? I mean, we literally landed on it, stuck, stuck a flag in the ground. That's like a metaphor for this is ours. I don't know. I mean, and is there even a flag up there? So, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, but, but, but work with me here. One giant step for mankind, one small step for man. Uh, Neil, we're missing something. Do you, under, you see what's happening? One small step for man. We placed our feet on the moon. It's under our feet. One giant step for mankind. <sighs> Do you get it? Do you see what's happening? That's modern day science. That's modern day humanism. That is Babel. That is the spirit of Babel. Right? And that's the spirit of empire. That's the spirit of exploitation. That is domination. That is domination. Of course, the world will say, if we wanted to put the flag of Christ on the moon, they would say, now that's domination. They would say, that's patriarchy, that's toxic masculinity, that's abusive. That's, uh, uh, who's the ladies in the red dress with the white hoods? That's Handmaid's Tale. And no, no, we're saying, no, yours is domination. They're saying, no, yours is domination. So you got to know, you're not going to win the kingdom of Satan over. You're not going to persuade them. Right? You just got to do what you got to do. But you see, that is the, that's the greatest sin of America, really. That's the sin of America. It's the sin of empire. 
We have Napoleon in our heart. We really do. We can, we can put the moon under our feet. Now, what we want is a Christian culture with Christians exercising dominion over the universe in the name of King Jesus by his rules. That is the only path to a just, equitable, godly society. You understand what I mean? That's the path. Now, but here's the, here's the good news. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. You know, Haman built the gallows for Mordecai, but then Haman was hanged on his very own gallows. The devil built the cross for Jesus. Turns out in the end, the cross was the means through which the devil was defeated. So while man is exercising dominion in the name of man, Psalm 2, what are they doing? Let the peoples of this earth rage and plot in vain. The kings of this earth take counsel together. How can we break the bonds of the anointed one? We're doing this thing. And he who sits in the heavens does what? He laughs. Every step they take will one day be reversed on their heads and will be claimed for the kingdom of heaven. Um, You could think of the kingdom of heaven um, as a massive cathedral being built up over time that expands its walls to cover the entirety of the earth. And you could think of the, the pagan dominion of this world Man's hubris and man's pride and man's babble spirit um, as the scaffolding around that cathedral. And every generation, few more men get up on that scaffolding and they build on it. And they say, look how high we are. Look how great we are. And then they pass away and the scaffolding crumbles. And yet the kingdom of heaven still remains. That is, I do believe that is the meaning of human history that the mountain of the Lord is to cover the earth, that the knowledge of the Lord is to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, like the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord. If you know the visions in Daniel, the mountain, which was made not of human hands, crashes into the world right around the time of the Roman Empire, smashing the, the kingdoms of this world into, the, into dust, and then that mountain grows and expands over the entirety of the earth. That's what is taking place. The dominion of Christ And the question is whether or not we will participate in that dominion or be swallowed up in the vanities of humanistic, ambitious dominion, one or the other. The extent of the mandate you can see here is over everything. Was Adam successful? No, no. Will Jesus be successful? Yes. He will not fail. They did a lot of failing in the old covenant, in the old administration of the covenant. David, great guy, but at the end, what happened to his kingdom? It fell on account of his sin, right? The judges, great men like Gideon and Samson and Othniel, but sin crumbled their efforts. But there was coming one who would be worthy to open the scroll, to sit upon the throne, and he will not fail. That is the point of the Bible. That is the point of human history. That is one of the most important aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, but Pastor Brandon, what about, uh, what about evangelism? You're not saying anything about evangelism. 
Now, I've told you before that the word evangelism has different meanings. It is typically thought of as the revivalistic efforts of a church to provoke decisions by individuals before the end of time. So they want to do things to activate your will so that you will then make a decision for Christ before the rapture or before you die and go to hell. And we're just plucking people out. They don't have a larger vision of what Jesus is doing in the world. Their vision is, for the most part, limited to the revivalistic service. Okay? And, uh, of course, they have techniques for provoking decisions. And they believe that the decision of a man activates God's salvation plan on his life. Of course, that is humanism, right? That, that is platonic. That is humanism, right? Um, and they don't have this larger, this larger vision at all. But we do believe in evangelism. Right? Evangelism is when someone is converted into this cause, they are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a kingdom, and it has an agenda, right? Is, which is why they must be converted through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our job, preach the gospel. And, uh, and those whom God will, he will call to himself. But once they are in the church, what are they to be do- what's to be done with them? They're to be taught how to fulfill their calling as unto the Lord. They are to be equipped for every good work so that they can participate in this this building project, in this great mission. Amen? Boy, and that's exciting. Young people want that mission. They want that hope. There's a reason why young people are attracted to our message to some degree, because they see hope in it and, and, and a future in it. And they, they have something to sink their teeth into. And that's, God didn't design a Debbie Downer uh, gospel. It's an ambitious um, gospel. So evangelism, this is, not in, this is not in contradiction to evangelism. Evangelism is the first step. Preach the gospel. Their sins are cleansed. They are atoned. They have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now they can get to work for King Jesus. They're saved in order that they might, be, that they might serve. And they serve in all of life. That's right. Um, so anyway, we, we're running out of time here. Um, I'm going to give you a bad example and a good example. And this is from my class that I teach at Christ Church Academy. Uh, a bad example is Dr. Frankenstein. All right. He violates the laws of God. He violates the laws of nature and nature's God in order to um, create life. He's a necromancer. He's a wizard, like, modern, like many modern-day scientists, honestly. Um, and he believes through his science and his technology, he can create a God-man, so to speak. Of course, his uh, dominion and his exercising dominion over, the, over science, technology, over humans and death and life, is not done according to King Jesus, and what does he create? A Frankenstein. Now, can you think of anything in our world that is a Frankenstein? Atom bomb? Yeah, probably. Now, what would be good? Atomic energy, right? That would be good for mankind. Atom bomb's not good for mankind. 
and I don't believe so. I mean, you're killing a lot of women and children, which is an absolute violation of God's law. You're not allowed to kill women and children. Um, anything, any other Frankensteins? I don't know the origins of COVID, but if they went into a lab and they created some chimera virus and then it accidentally leaked into the world, that's another example. That is, that is Frankenstein. That is man's hubris. See, when man thinks he's going to put his foot on the moon and, and, and plant his flag, he only creates exploitation and evil and injustice and suffering. You know, guillotines for everyone, right? That's man's hubris and man's pride. Can you think of any other Frankensteins? Whatever they're doing in labs with little baby parts and little babies, it's not the path to blessing and flourishing. It's not. The path to blessing and flourishing begins in the fear of the Lord. But now, on the other hand, George Washington Carver, he goes into the lab with a peanut. He's, man, what a, what a, what a calling. He's like, I'm the peanut man, right? <laughs> but where did he come? Why, why the peanut? Because the peanuts could be grown in the South, and peanuts were a great source of protein and carbohydrates for poor people who needed help. So he has service to mankind. You see, in his heart is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he dons his scientific, his ministerial garb. They wear white robes. His ministerial garb as a minister of Christ. And he enters into his sanctuary, the laboratory, with a resource that God has given him and commanded him rule over this. Put your neck, you put your foot on the neck of this peanut. And this is what he says. He says, I carried the peanuts into my laboratory and the creator told me to take them apart and resolve them in their elements. Wow, man, this gives me the chills. That's meaning in life. You think you can give your life for a peanut? You can when you realize that peanut is a resource from the creator for the good of mankind. You You can die for the peanut when you have that much mission in your heart. (laughs) He says, I took that peanut into the laboratory and the creator told me to take it apart and resolve it into its elements. With such knowledge as I had of chemistry and physics, I set to work to take the peanuts apart. I separated the water, the fats, the oils, the gums, the resins, the sugars, the starches, the pectoses, the pentosins, the amino acids. You see, he's out of our league, right? (laughs) There! Exclamation point. I had the parts of the peanuts all spread out before me. Now that's good magic. You understand? That's, that's godly wizardry, right? Mixing up baby parts and potions so that you can feel youthful. That's evil magic, necromancy. Making shuttles to land on the moon and stake your humanistic flag. That's evil magic. It's not what we're called to, but this is good magic. Now, I'm, I'm trying to teach you something that science and technology is an extension of the magic worldview. It's all the same, right? We just have bigger wands. But this wand here is to be a dominion wand for King Jesus. This is way more powerful than the elder wand. It really is. I can, I can, like, I can help marriages. I can help a marriage in India with this thing. What a blessing from God. What a, what a power in our hands. 
It's like I have 100,000 servants in my back pocket. It's amazing. This is for King Jesus. This is science and technology. This is the mindset of, of, Car- of uh, George Washington Carver when he went into his lab. And people hated him for it. People tried to thwart him at every turn. Of course, when you're trying to create an industry, basically, the peanut industry, all the other industries are going to see you as a competition because they have evil humanism in their heart. They don't have the good of mankind in their heart. And out of all of this, he created 300 products from the peanut. That's what Christians could do. That's one man with a dominion mindset. If the church in America could somehow rediscover this mission, we could turn the world upside down. We could do so much good. So that should be our prayer. All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.